You're listening to The Ramped Podcast, a podcast connecting industry heavyweights with the next generation of talented professionals. We're on a mission to build transparency into the practical realities of your early career by exploring how the world's best did it themselves. Our guidance will help you discover and launch a successful career in sales, technology, finance, and many other industries. You've got a high-flying episode of Workforce Disrupted presented by the Ramp Podcast today. Our host and Ramp co-founder Manoj Jana is joined by Connor Sweeney. Connor is the global head of people programs at Volta Charging. Volta is an industry leader in commerce-centric EV charging networks, a really cool company building EV charging networks that capitalize on and catalyst the shift from combustion-powered miles to electric miles, placing stations where consumers live, work, play, and shop. Connor and Manoj dive into the future of work, talking through Connor's background, some things on employer benefits, aspects of employee benefits, like what changes he's noticed over the past 10 years, and non-cash benefits that he sees coming for the future of work. He also talks about decoupling location dependence and what he's learned over the last 18 or so months about how and where work can be done. We know you're going to love this episode and the guidance Connor shares on this episode of Workforce Disrupted, presented by The Ramp Podcast. Let's jump in. Thank you, Connor, for uh, joining us today and uh, for being open to having a discussion with us the uh, at the Round Podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for for having me on today, Manoj. I'm super looking forward to our conversation. I know we're going to hit on some very relevant topics over the next few minutes, so looking forward to it. It's awesome, man. The world is changing and it's uh, changing so quickly. But before uh, before we dive into the fun stuff, uh, for those that have not had the opportunity to know you or work with you, uh, could you? Uh, share a little bit more about your uh, your background and, and and how you got to where you are today as a uh, as a people leader at Volta. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm I'm currently senior director and global head of people programs at Volta Charging. I'll start by saying that I've had a a, a non-linear career path, which I know many people can relate to. I, I've spent most of my career in the tech industry. And more specifically, have spent a good portion of my career in, in finance and business operations. And I'll, I'll kind of veer off here a little bit and, and mention that I started my career at Hewlett Packard, where I spent a number of years working across their procurement, IT, and, and real estate functions. And in the earlier stages of my tenure, HP split into two separate publicly traded companies, who are now today HP Inc. and Hewlett Packard Enterprise. And I ended up on the Hewlett Packard Enterprise side, which was essentially at the time a Fortune 50 size startup. So I found myself in the driver's seat of roles that I really could have never dreamed of being in so early on in my career. And that's why I give that context. I mean, it was a really exceptional time where there was a massive amount of growth that was happening very, very quickly within my career. I later went on to spend some time at Walmart e-commerce, where I led executive communications for their global HR and finance organizations, which is a very different angle to the world of finance and operations. But 
working with senior leaders in this space from this particular angle was incredibly fascinating, especially for someone like me, who's always been fascinated in how leadership contributes to the success, or in some cases, lack thereof, an organization. And then prior to stepping into what is now my current HR leadership role at Volta, I spent some time at Box as the chief of staff and head of business operations for their office of the co-founder and CFO, which really brought all of the pieces of my career passed together into one very chaotic but very fun leadership role at a company that was helping thousands of other companies navigate through new ways of working and collaboration in the cloud and, and all of those things. So I, I mentioned some of those intricacies because while my journey hasn't been necessarily linear, I've always danced around the people space. Specifically in my stint at organizations like Walmart and Box, I found myself in roles that required digging even deeper into people strategy, whether that be during my time as chief of staff, where I was tasked with standing up the overhaul of the company's global location strategy to working with the M&A team at a Fortune 1 retailer to help integrate their acquisitions. I, I feel that all of that has appropriately led me to this very place that I'm in today. So in general, fearing very blessed, I've worked with and for some incredible leaders and I've had some pretty unique leadership experiences myself. That's a quite quite an impressive set of experience, uh, but also a great journey. When I look at your career trajectory, I can't help but wonder a couple of things. One is, I mean, you're an ambitious guy, and none of this must have come easy. It obviously, is a lot of work. Uh, what kept you going, right? When you went from role to role, took on all these responsibilities, uh, doesn't seem like none of these jobs were alike. So lots of learning. What got you excited to get up and say, yes, sign me up for this challenge? Like, what are your internal drivers? It's a couple of things. Earlier on in my career, I, I remember a leader telling me to ride the wave of change, don't resist the wave of change. And as I'd mentioned in my intro, you know, I really started my career in a very chaotic kind of transformative environment, right? I mean, six months into my very first gig outside of a university setting, I, I found myself in an environment where this you know, massive legacy technology behemoth was splitting into two separate publicly traded companies. And, and I think that experience really set the tone for, for the rest of my career in that you know, change is inevitable and it's really kind of part of the day-to-day -day, um, makeup of what is a career, certainly in technology, but really any industry. And so it was earlier on getting some really good advisory around getting comfortable with change and transformation and really riding the wave and you know putting your hand up to say, hey, not only am I happy to ride this wave, but how can I contribute to getting us through you know, that wave? And so a lot of the projects and roles that I've taken on over the years, you know, have been in environments that are experiencing immense amounts of change. And I think, you know, the other piece too is I've been really lucky over the years, Manoj, to have just incredible mentorship and coaching. Mm -hmm. I've had a lot of leaders and, and just phenomenal managers take chances on me uh, and, and provide me with those opportunities to you know, either succeed or fail. And I, I am very thankful for that. And so you know, one of the things that I try to do now as a people leader all those years later is I feel this duty to, to give that back you know, and to really be very thoughtful about the things that 
I knew that I needed and that I craved as an individual contributor in the earlier parts of his career. Um, and the things that I needed more than anything was just support. And then kind of secondly was leaders that were willing to take risks on having me do things that, you know, really weren't in my comfort zone. And so again, I've been really lucky over the years, but as you mentioned, it's been a journey. So it sounds like it's a, it's a nice confluence um, of two factors. One is your intrinsic motivation uh, driver and your desire to uh, ride the wave of change instead of resisting it. But equally as important, what I'm hearing you say is that you've had the opportunity to work with mentors, bosses that gave you the platform to double down on that intrinsic motivator of yours. And it almost seems like you need both of those to come together um, in order to accelerate your own career, but also perform, right? And provide value to companies. But on that theme of change, so that's you, that's Connor, that's your motivator, but you also work with a lot of people across a lot of companies uh, beyond the obvious, which is folks need a job because they want to make ends meet, beyond the obvious cash as a, as a benefit. What other drivers have you seen as common themes among people? Why do a group of people or you know, us as human beings, society, wake up and say, I'm going to pursue meaningful employment as we see it today outside of cash? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think really relevant because a lot of organizations and companies are having that conversation right now around really what are, what are the motivators and the things that mean most to people, you know, as it relates to non-cash based compensation or things that excite people to come to work every day. And I think it, to me, it boils down to a couple of things. I think one, we all crave in our own way, the eagerness to contribute to and drive business impact. We want to know that we are stepping into an organization and a role and a company where every day we can come really kind of bring our, our blank selves to work, right? Whatever that, that self is and, and contribute, you know, provide a, a service, a skill, lead a project, whatever it is that, that in turn ends up driving significant business impact. And so, again, as I think about my career and my past and some of the really exciting things I've worked on, you know, so much of what motivates me as a professional is just that. And then in turn, being able to now look out into a larger organization and, and have these same types of conversations with others, that seems to be a really, a really common theme is being able to contribute to something meaningful and being able to really articulate and understand the impact that one is driving within their organization. I think secondly, and this manifests in very different ways, depending on the organization, the industry, but you know, can you relate to the mission of the company, right? How are you connecting to what it is the company is doing as far as the service it's providing or the, the product that it's creating or innovating, et cetera. I think more and more, right, outside of the realm of, am I going to be able to make a good living, take care of my family, et cetera? You know, I've always found, you know, in roles that I've taken that, you know, the very specific companies that I've worked in over the years is, you know, do I resonate with the mission? Mm-hmm. And do I have some sort of connection to you know, what the company is optimizing for from a, a goals and mission perspective? So I think it's impact and I think it's kind of mission and meaning is really what it, what it comes down to. And, you know, tactically speaking, I'd say that I am 
new to an organization. I know what my uh, motivators are. Uh, the employer may have uh, a decent pulse as to what they're seeing as, as primary motivators, but how can, how can both parties do better? How can uh, employees or participants of the workforce uh, do a better job in being open and honest about what their motivators are very early um, so that someone that is designing people programs or someone that's designing that human resource function can ensure that benefits that are offered or pathways that are offered to them are aligned with their intrinsic motivators. So that's the employee responsibility. What is the best way? What is the best forum? Who do you have this discussion with? And at what point do you bring it up during the interview? Do you bring it up after you get hired? At what point do you communicate it and how can you do it? Question one. Question two is as an employer, what can you do um, to ensure that you're able to collect this uh, feedback systematically from everyone in the workforce so that uh, there's not a lot left for guesswork? Just coming from my own experience, places that I've been the most happiest are the ones where, to your point, my motivators have been perfectly aligned with opportunities provided by the employer. Places where I felt dissatisfied are places where there wasn't that alignment. Some of it was my fault. Um, maybe I was young and inexperienced and couldn't vocalize that these were my motivators. And I expected an employer uh, to be older, wiser, and to simply glean their way through it like an oracle would, but obviously it may not work uh, in every instance. And so how do, we, how do we get better at it? You know, I think no matter which side of the coin you're on in this question, to me, it all boils down to partnership and communications. You know, it's interesting. I was uh, reading an article recently in, I believe it was Fast Company, and it was talking about the way that HR specifically will look differently going into this next year. And one of the points that stuck out to me in this article was this point around people teams co-creating programs with, the key word being with employees, not just for employees. And so partnering with the business, right, to deliver valuable programming that's customized to their various strategies and needs, depending on the organization they sit in, et cetera, is really essential versus that one size fits all type approach. So from the, from the programming point of view, right, as you think about kind of delivering comprehensive, meaningful, useful people programs, you know, I see great value in HR teams really taking it a step further to co-create those programs with the business, not necessarily always for the business. But getting back to kind of the higher level answer, whether you're the employee or the employer, there always needs to be a maniacal focus on partnership and communications. On the communications front, I think communications is one of those things that we all take for granted a little bit. We oftentimes find ourselves communicating most when we're reacting to something, in uh, any organization that I've been in, there has always been that need to drive a more robust narrative around proactive communications. How can we get ahead of the message? How can we ensure that people understand ahead of time what it is that we're optimizing for, what our goals are as an organization, what our mission is as an organization, how we're performing against those goals? You know, a lot of companies, and this is not at fault, right? The, the pace of business is is you know, as fast as it ever has been, is organizations are oftentimes reacting to all of those things, right? People asking about, you know, how are we measuring up against our goals or, you know, what is our mission and how does that evolve as we scale and grow culture as the company grows, right? But 
But organizations really need to take a step back and say, how can we proactively get ahead of all this by communicating more proactively? I think on the partnership front, and this speaks to kind of my first point, you know, in organizations where I've seen kind of the most success in program implementation and just, you know, general good camaraderie, right, between employer and employee, there's been that really healthy balance of partnership, Minoj, as far as, again, you know, you come into the organization as an employee, kind of understanding the high level, here's what the company does, and here's maybe their revenue goals for next year, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But companies, no matter where they are and what stage they're in, are constantly evolving, right? And so as com- and companies are constantly evolving, how can you maintain that strong sense of partnership between the programmer and the employee to ensure that things are being built out and implemented in partnership with each other. And so I, I, you know, for me, and it's one of those philosophies that I bring to every role that I'm in, I've, um, I'm kind of partnership obsessed and some of the most successful programs that I've rolled out have really been a result of, you know, me being able to partner with the business and, and with the other side of the equation to, to kind of build something out that drives a really healthy sense of accountability on, on both parties. So I think at the end of the day, it all boils down to, to partnership frameworks and, and communications. Can we talk about some of uh, these outcomes, right? When you, when you, uh, when you say uh, successful programs or successful forms of employee, employee, um, uh, employee benefits, uh, I'd be curious, and I'm sure others would be as well as to what that might look like, right? What uh, so are some examples of partnership driven outcomes, uh, whether they're successful programs or successful benefits. Could you maybe spend a little bit of time talking about that? Sure can. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll provide a, a pretty specific example. So during my time as chief of staff at Box, there was a lot of eagerness very early on in my tenure from senior leadership in the board to really double click into um, global location strategy, right? So understanding the rationale for hiring in certain locations and understanding the macro level cost impacts of that, auditing the existing location strategy from an efficiency and effectiveness perspective, and really asking ourselves questions uh, such as, are we missing out on certain talent markets by focusing too heavily on certain locations? You know, did we want to establish a function-focused hub, you know, outside of HQ for certain functions within the company, et cetera, et cetera. So, we dug deeper into these questions and themes, and it was clear that after doing so, we needed to take a step back and actually overhaul the company's existing approach to location strategy, which is exactly what we did. And I had an opportunity to lead the charge on this effort. And when I think about the outcome and, and the program that it created, you know, we ended up creating programming and insight into the business that allowed the business to better understand both cost and productivity impacts for where we were operating, right, from an employee basis perspective. And we were even able to identify new location opportunities that actually ended up uh, resulting in essentially opening up the the secondary center of excellence for for Box's engineering organization in Europe. And and even, you know, pre-pandemic, because all of this was done pre-pandemic, we were able to really understand and begin to appreciate the benefits of tapping into other remote talent markets, which of course became something the company leaned into more and more as COVID-19 became a bigger part of our lives. So, you know, this was a really eye-opening exercise and and program and again, supports 
you know, this kind of whole notion of business strategy really is people strategy in a lot of ways, right? Because the work that we did in this particular instance allowed leaders to make more informed decisions around hiring, which of course, across the board impacts, you know, everything from talent management to budget to business capabilities and and more. So that was a tremendous opportunity and example of, you know, a a people-focused function and people teams really partnering with the business to provide data-driven insights that, you know, really ended up resulting in massive both, you know, kind of efficiency and effectiveness improvements uh, within the company across the board and across the globe. So this this notion of location strategy is a new to you. It looks uh, looks like you you've done a bit of exploration around this even before COVID hit, and you did that intentionally, right? Not in a reactionary manner, but from the sounds of it, looks there was an audit, there was an analysis, it was identifying opportunities for for improvement. But it's also interesting in in that that's new for a lot of folks. It's new for a lot of employers. When we you know built and launched Ramp as a business, we didn't know anything but a fully remote environment. There was no choice. This was at the height of the pandemic. And that was the only option that we had. And we're new. And I don't think we're in this boat alone. There's a lot of companies that, you know, maybe have been around for a while, but this is the first time they're dealing with this, or there are companies that are only dealing with this. And we don't know anything else. And the the world returns to normal tomorrow, and we'd have to you know, we're open to having an in-person setting, that's going to be a steep learning curve because it's a first-time experience for us. So my question to you is this, what is your take? There's been so much movement and there's been so much noise in the past 18 months about how and where work can be done. Um, You've seen and proved it that you can work out of another office, another location and actually be efficient doing so. Uh, What's your take on this? Where do you see the world moving towards? Yeah. So, you know, I think candidly, I'm not sure we'll be in a place anytime soon to definitively assume that one working model will work for a majority of the world's companies, right? Because I think to answer a question around will the world move towards fully remote or remote first or remote friendly or or something else, I think to answer that question always depends very heavily on things like the type of industry the existing location strategy, you know, the capabilities that you need from, you know, call it an R&D perspective, et cetera. You know, I think remote friendly is a categorization that we've seen working well for many, many years already. I don't think pre-pandemic, there was really a label on something called remote friendly. I think a lot of companies had the capability of saying, Hey, you have a doctor's appointment today, so you know why don't you just go ahead and work from home because you know there's no sense in having you do all this commuting, office to doctors, doctors to office, home, etc. So a lot of that kind of remote friendly flexibility already existed, but I think as you kind of alluded to earlier, there wasn't a lot of intentional thought around how that would manifest later on into something a bit more definitive. I think in general, re- again, remote friendly is one of those categories that's been working well for many years, and it really implies flexibility. And I think that's the best thing that employers can do right now is remain flexible. As we've all seen, it can be really, really hard to be overly declarative right now on a topic like this, because you have to factor in all of the the kind of varying pieces of what makes up your workforce, right? What, What is important to people 
people's families, what they're dealing with at home, their commute times, their, their certain elements of safety as it relates to health, et cetera. And so, you know, I, when I think about where I see the world moving towards, I, I see the world continuing to embrace this narrative of flexibility. And again, I'll say, I think that narrative of flexibility, not being overly declarative, is really the best thing employers can do right now, um, especially as it relates to what's best for the workforce. That makes sense. I think I, I, I tend to agree with you there. If you peel the layer layers of the onion around remote work and location dependence or location independence, it really comes down to flexibility. Folks want to be able to work in a in a in a world in a space. Uh, that works best for them, right? And I think it's a little bit counterintuitive to want flexibility, but also mandate that work needs to be remote first or in office. It doesn't compute, right? How can flexibility be the underlying motivator? And yet you're so inflexible with not having options for for folks, right? And so that seems to be the the grander theme, at least from from an employee's perspective, uh, is just this idea of flexibility around where you work, which is tied to whether it's remote or in office or somewhat of a combo, uh, how you work, what type of uh, device do you want to use? I've seen employers be very flexible. Do you want to work on a Mac? Work on a Mac. Do you want a PC? Work on a PC, right? It's about how you work. Uh, The other interesting model that I'd love to kind of pick your brain on is who you work for, right? That notion of who you work for, I've seen change very quickly. The creator economy is here and it's here to stay, right? And so the idea that you'd have to work for 40 years for an employer so that you can get a pension um, and you retire after that, that, that model is gone, man. It's just gone, right? It went from that to people, you know, maybe spending two, three years and progressing and working at different roles. And now I'm starting to see two different themes happening. One is as a group of folks, uh, typically these are people that have very in-demand skills, let's call it programming or coding, that say, I'm just going to be a consultant. I have the tools to be a consultant. Just I'll be 1099. I'll work for 10 employers. I have enough of a tech stack today to handle my own insurance, to handle my own billing, right? And so all of that administrative hassle is gone. So that's one group of folks. There's other groups groups of folks that you know, say, I'll work for an employer, but I also have a side hustle. It's a passion project. I make money. And then I'm starting to see employers now waking up and saying, hey, maybe we can share resources. Like I, there's an accounting firm. Maybe I have some talent. Maybe I'll share these resources with another company. Where do you see this model going? Do you see the conventional W-2 system being the way uh, the world moves forward? Great. It's a great question and a very interesting topic. And as a global population, I'll start off by by saying and stating the obvious, we have access to more resources and information than ever before. It's easier than it ever has been to learn a new skill through on-demand trainings and boot camps and, and, and things like that. It's easier than it ever has been before to offer your services and expertise, as you just outlined, to more than one resource at a time. It's easier than it ever has been before to start a business through you know similar types of resources that I that I've mentioned before, I think that there's still a lot of work to be done around striking the right balance and how we bring the gig economy into conventional employment structures. But I think a lot of professionals are paving their own ways to create their own, as you were mentioning, kind of unique form of what a conventional employment structure looks like to them. Right. So. 
you know, we live in a world where artists and crafters are earning incredible living selling their goods and products on platforms like Etsy, right? So there's no longer this maniacal focus on needing to have the money to open up brick and mortar and, and all the, the headaches operationally that come along with that, right? Restaurants are leading even heavier into app-based delivery services, right? To make their products more widely available. We're seeing this, this natural shift in what the conventional employment structure looks like through access to information and technology. And it's really exciting to see. And so I think we're going to continue to see a lot of momentum around this, right? And, and again, leveraging some of the examples that you provided around, you know, programmers acting more as consultants, and restaurants leaning heavier into you know one area of business, i.e., delivery app based, than than kind of in restaurant dining, et cetera, et cetera. But I do think that we have a long way to go as we think about how we actually define the future state of what kind of a conventional working environment looks like. But I think we're in a very exciting time because I think there's a lot of research happening on this. And I think there's a lot of flexibility. We were talking about flexibility earlier that employees are introducing, you know, into the, the environments and the culture around at times, even encouraging people and organizations to embrace their side hustles. Right. And, you know, there are times where those side hustles can actually benefit, you know, the, the organization that the employee is fully focused on at that time in, in certain situations. And so, we have a, a long way to go, but you know I can't help but just express tons of enthusiasm around the options that we have, the flexibility that we have, and really what this means for the future of business. Well, it's good to hear that it, it doesn't stress you. There's there's the old school way of thinking that goes, oh God, like I'm I'm worried you're not committed to the cause. You have a, a passion project going on that just means that you're not committed. It, I mean, we, I heard that not too long ago, right, where it was a red flag. If you were employed at a certain place and, you know, God forbid, you had a passion project on the weekends where you made art or you made some money and you'd have to, uh, all kinds of trouble. Uh, so it's good to hear that, you know, you're at least open to where this could go and again, being flexible. Yeah. And there, well, there's also another kind of piece of this too. And, and as I'd mentioned before, you know, I've, I've, I have some experience as a, a chief of staff in the tech industry. And so I've met a lot of strategy and operations leaders over the years. And, you know, from a role perspective, you know, I've met a lot of chiefs of staff in the industry that actually very intentionally go into a role like that um, with a company with the intention of learning what they need to learn to actually up-level their skills to go start their own company. So I think we're also kind of seeing this shift in how people use employment, right? And, and I think that there's a lot of incredible innovators and, and you know, intelligent minds out there and innovators that are actually really happy that this is something that, that exists, that we have roles and platforms and skills that people can develop in certain environments to then lift and shift into other environments. And so, you know, I was just having a conversation a couple of weeks ago with a, a woman who is looking to make the transition out of the public sector into the private sector mainly from kind of a strategy ops perspective, but she was really eager to step into a chief of staff role with the idea of learning from you know, the best of the best as far as leaders and in, in a you know hyper growth company so that she could then go later on and start her own company. There were certain skills that she was looking to develop in that experience. That's not that uncommon anymore. And if you talk to a lot of ex-chiefs of staff who today may be co-founders or, or C-suite leaders or other companies, 
they've probably done just that. So I think that's another angle of this whole conversation that I think is really fascinating as well. And I think in employers that that kind of embrace that entrepreneurial mindset of, you know, come here and do great work. It would be great if we can retain you, but if we can develop you so that you can go and do something amazing, that's not a bad thing either. And so I've worked in organizations and companies that really embrace that mindset. And I think it's yeah. amazing. Yeah. I mean, hey, listen, there's, there's two two examples right here. Uh, you've you've uh, gone ahead and taken on a senior leadership role. And uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't be in a place to, to start a business today if I wasn't a chief of staff at a tech company. I learned everything about how to build and scale a business from nothing to something from senior leaders. And I felt like, okay, I'm ready to, to kind of take those training wheels off. And I was there for, you know, three years and, uh, and that's acceptable. I, I totally agree with you. I went in taking that role with the specific intention of that, right? Cause to some extent it's a generalist role. You kind of wear a lot of hats and right. touch yeah. a lot of work. So, uh, so absolutely. That makes uh, that makes a ton of sense. Let me ask you one one last question as we think about the future, as we think about the next uh, 10 years, right? And, and I'm sure you have an eye towards it. If you look at the composition of the workforce and where it's going to go, statistically, a lot of it will be Gen Z and um, Gen Alpha right after, right? And so that's going to be what your workforce is composed of. What is your recommendation, suggestion, tip to people leaders out there? Um, what can they do and how can they plan today so that they can best accommodate that generation and that group of workforce? Yeah, I think first and foremost, as people leaders, we, we need to acknowledge this transformation that we're experiencing as far as the future of what people teams will be working on and delivering from a programming perspective going into the future. There's you know, this natural shift that's happening even as we speak around the types of benefits that really matter to people now versus what mattered to, to employees three, four, five years ago. And, you know, my prediction for the future really is three things as I think about what people leaders can be very mindful of around benefits and programming, et cetera, going into the future. I think one how learning and development is structured and deployed will continue to evolve as technological access makes it easier for professionals to learn new skills or uplevel their existing skills. I think we've seen this natural shift over the last couple of years of learning and development or kind of that classic use case of an LMS platform being more of a chore for employees. And now what we're seeing is this craving for how can I get more development? How can I learn more? How can I up-level my skills, learn new skills, et cetera? And so I think, you know, enablement as it relates to, you know, managers looking to up-level those skills as managers to step into leadership roles or folks that are looking to develop very specific technical skills, that's not going away. And with all of the amazing technology that exists today that provides that in a much easier way than the way that it was provided even just a few years ago is something that people leaders really need to be thoughtful of around what they adopt, how they adopt it, and, and what they deploy within their organizations around professional development. I think secondly, and this is more of a macro level comment, but you know, the future of benefits will continue to evolve and what people prioritize going into the workforce will continue to evolve. So things like mental health, family planning, financial literacy, DEIB, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging programming, will continue to become more and more top of mind for professionals 
when they're weighing their employment options. And so much of that comes from, I alluded to this earlier, this access to information that we have that we've just never had before, where people are making much more thoughtful, strategic decisions around where they work and why they work there. And I think lastly, as we touched on in the earlier part of the conversation, is flexibility. Flexible work environments will become a requirement versus a competitive advantage. I think today, a lot of organizations think about offering flexible work environments as a way to attract talent, as a way to be a differentiator in their industry, in their sector, or what have you. And I think as we continue to evolve and move forward, you know, flexibility, which will take shape in a lot of different ways, is going to become a requirement one way or another. This all makes sense, Connor. Thanks for uh, thanks for sharing that. I think with a, a bit of uh, proactive thinking, planning, and listening to what the world wants and needs, I share your optimism to what the next uh, ten years will hold for us as you know workforce enablers, for for the lack of a better word. So, uh, really appreciate your time. Enjoyed the conversation, and uh, wish you the very best of luck at uh, at Bolton. Looking forward to you doing great things there. Yes. No. Thank you very much for for having me today, Benoj, and Happy New Year to you too. Thank you for listening to The Ramped Podcast. To access our show notes, The Ramped platform, or to become a corporate partner, visit www.rampedcareers.com or email us at sales at rampedcareers.com. This podcast is brought to you by Ramped. Ramped is on a mission to democratize job access through learning and career discovery. Until next time.